Hey folks, welcome to The Electables. I'm Doug Thornell. I'm joined by my partner in crime, the super talented Adrian Elrod. Thanks, Doug. Um, I appreciate the compliment. <laughs> and we have a special treat today. We've got two-term governor of Colorado, John Hickenlooper. He was also the two-term mayor of Denver. Governor Hickenlooper, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me on. So we know you're a very busy man. Uh, are you going to make yourself even busier by running for president? <laughs> it certainly is not something for the faint of heart or people that aren't willing to be busy. Uh, we're working on it. And we've been looking at all the, the reasons why I'm different than the other potential candidates and you know my experience of bringing people together and actually getting progressive policy uh, initiatives implemented and actually accomplished. I, I see myself really as the only person who's done that. So we're taking a hard look at it. And Governor, would you be running as a Democrat in the Democratic primary, or would you be running as a Democrat <laughs> as an independent in the in a three-way race, like no. somebody else who might be running for president? No, I will definitely be running as a Democrat in a Democratic primary. I've, you know, built my life around bringing people together and trying to figure out solutions to the problems. Both when I was in the private sector, I was in the restaurant business for about fifteen years, and got other my so-called competitors to work together with me in the late 1980s and early 1990s in a part of Denver called Lodo, lower downtown. We tried to sound like Soho. But that whole process of working with them has informed. When I ran for mayor in 2003, I, I worked to bring all the suburban mayors, most of them Republicans, who hated the historically had hated the, the mayor of Denver. And we built a unified front, created a 122-mile transit initiative of light rail, I mean, those kinds of accomplishments, I think, and, and really bringing people together is what America needs right now. We're, we're in, a, in a period of crisis. So when can we expect a decision? Well, as I go around the country, and I've been to, to Georgia and Florida, to Iowa, New Mexico, New Hampshire, talking to people and really, you know, asking, is someone whose who's real passion is finding solutions to problems by bringing people together. You know, we were able to bring the oil and gas industry together with the environmental community. And trust me, they hated each other. It's like the, the Hatfields and the McCoys. And we were able to get them to create methane regulations that were the equivalent of, of removing 320,000 automobiles each year from the roads of Colorado. And the oil and gas industry is the one who paid. They paid the 60 million bucks. I look at those kinds of successes and I feel that capacity to bring people together is what uh, America is really lacking. You're exactly right, Governor. I'm so happy to hear you talking about bringing both sides of the aisle together. Um, so one of my questions, and this is a question that I ask a lot of people who are considering running for office, uh, the highest office in the land, what is your path? You know, with 20, potentially 20, 25 people running in the Democratic primary, what do you see your, your constituency? Who is your who are the people that you know that you can rely on no matter what state you're campaigning in? Who is that sector of the Democratic Party pie that you believe will be with you? Are we talking about millennials? Are we talking about, I know that you have been a big supporter of craft beer breweries. Like, <laughs> are we talking like, what? Do, who do you kind of see your message really catering to? Well, certainly you can imagine that bumper sticker, put a brewer in the White House. I, I have the, By the way, that's a great, that's a great bumper sticker. That, I was the first brewer... Uh, since Sam Adams in 1792 to get elected governor. So, uh, and I don't think there's ever been a brewer in the White House. You know, I look at it, I am the one person who really has 
brought people together. And I think when when people sit down and think about it, what is most frustrating, I mean, this this country is in free fall and we are more divided than ever. Government doesn't work. We're inherently less safe. I think there's going to be a gravitational pull for people uh, to support someone who actually can can show a long history of accomplishment, of bringing people together and getting progressive values done. Everybody can talk about how progressive they are and what, what they support. It's another thing to, you know, time after time, show people what you've gotten done. If, I mean, we've got Republicans and Democrats together and expanded Medicaid. We now have almost 95% of the population of Colorado has coverage. We reduced... We got, again, by getting hospitals and clinics and Republicans and Democrats together, we reduced teenage pregnancy by 60%. Those kinds of accomplishments, I think, and and you never, no one can prove this until you get to the election, but I think there's an appetite and maybe even a hunger for people to get stuff done. Governor, you've run for office uh, four times, is that correct? Yes, twice for the mayor of Denver and then twice for the governor of Colorado. What's the hardest thing about being a candidate for office, for public office? Well, in a funny way, once, as soon as you become a candidate, people will take pot shots at you. And the, the smallest thing you do, they will try to turn that against you and, and, and make an attack strictly because they're in the different party. They don't disagree with perhaps what you're saying, but they just want to try and bring you down a peg. And I came up through the restaurant business, and you learn things in the restaurant business that are exactly contradictory to how politics works. And in the restaurant business, you learn no matter how unreasonable that customer is, no, no matter how crazy they are, you don't want them to leave without knowing how much you care about the relationship, how much you value their opinion, because otherwise they go out and trash your reputation. You don't find out about it until it's too late. In politics, it's the opposite. People define themselves by who their enemies are, and they go out of their way to demonstrate how malicious and malevolent and and just how awful they can treat their their political opponents. That's not once the election's over. You got to when you treat someone so poorly after the election's over. It's hard to. It's not just making up with the, that that candidate who's been so attacked. It's all the people that supported that candidate. They are going to be much much less likely to work and and figure out some collaborative solutions to things if the if the if the campaign was filled with bad blood. Well, that brings me um, to another question, which is how would you actually, how would you prosecute a general election campaign against Donald Trump? You actually, you talked about your record as governor of Colorado, um, everything that you did as mayor of Denver. Um, how would you sort of run a two-track campaign where you're talking about the issues that matter to the American people, your list of accomplishments, but also running a campaign that is hard-edged and aggressive against Donald Trump? Well, obviously, you've got to, in a campaign, you don't have to attack someone to to distinguish and separate yourself from them right. and, and their record. Uh, I mean, if you look at it and just step back and squint your eyes a little bit, you see, I mean, we've turned our backs on allies we've had for this country since the end of World War II. That's, you know, uh, close to 80 years now. They were our friends. Now they don't know where they stand. We have, you know, closed up any any possible uh, opportunity to work together internationally. Immigration. We are now at the border, ripping children away from their parents, and then in many cases putting those children later up for adoption. Yeah. In Colorado, we call that kidnapping. And I think the the record that he has done 
A, he's done very little, and all the things he's done have been, un- to, in my opinion, un-American and abhorrent. So I'll put something I've done up that is I've, I've accomplished and then point out something he's done that has really t- torn the, the, the country apart. It's not that. <laughs> it's kind of black and white. And by the way, I think that's what's going to be so interesting about this Democratic primary is that you're going to have a real debate about the issues, the policy issues, which is going to be, I think, very refreshing for the American people to see as opposed to just Donald Trump on our television screens 24-7. So I'm personally looking forward to that, that, but it's also going to be interesting to see how how much Democratic Party um, candidates for president focus on Trump versus actually focus on their opponents in the Democratic primary and the policy issues. So I think that's going to be an interesting contrast. And I completely agree. I think there will be an imperative on who can beat Trump, who Mm -hmm. has got the highest probability, especially going into those states like Ohio and Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, Florida, Wisconsin, another, your home state. (laughs) Those are the places where I think the candidates will be judged. And many of them are purple states. Uh, We're the only purple state where we were able to get universal background checks passed. Uh, and I had this whole process where I made the mistake of complaining to my son one night. He was in fifth grade. And he said, Dad, what are you doing all day at work that's so hard, making decisions? I said, well, Teddy, it's not that easy. He goes, Dad, get the facts, make a decision, check next. And we'd gotten smart. the national facts. He was smart. And, and, and we finally went back and got the local facts. And when you looked at him, in a, in a state like Colorado with 5.5 million people, there were 38 people in 2012 who I mean, we, we only got to half the gun purchases, but there were 38 people convicted of homicide who tried to buy a gun, and we stopped them. 133 people convicted of sexual assault, and they tried to buy a gun, and we stopped them. I mean, over 3,000 uh, felons tried to buy a gun, and, and we stopped them. And, and the Republicans said, well, crooks aren't stupid. They're not going to try and get a background check. Oh, yeah? 140 uh, people, when they came to pick up their gun, we arrested them for an outstanding warrant for a violent crime. So... That approach, and I give my son all the credit for that. Every time I tell that story, I have to give him a dollar as well. He, want, he heard it on radio one time. And he said, Dad, you used my ideas. I said, well, I give you credit. He says, do you know what royalties mean? Do you know what that word means? Entrepreneur. He man. is. He is. Good work. So there was a lot of talk about you and uh, former Ohio Governor Kasich possibly running as a unity ticket. Would you run with Governor Kasich on the same ticket? Well, I'm a great uh, admirer of, of Governor Kasich in many regards, and he was the one Republican governor after President Trump was elected, and <clears throat> the Republicans had both houses of Congress, and they were going to dismantle and repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act. He was the one Republican governor who had the courage to stand up and say, all right, I'm going to stand up with Hickenlooper, and here's some compromises by which we can improve the Affordable Care Act, and by all means, we should not repeal it. And if you remember, when John McCain, uh, about four days before he cast his vote to save the Affordable Care Act, he referred to, well, maybe we should be looking at the governors who really implement health care policy before we senators make our decision. And four days later, he, he protects the Affordable Care Act. I think John Kasich allowed that to happen. I needed a Republican. I felt I, I had to show a bipartisan will to protect that the, the Affordable Care Act. That being said, I can't see running with him. Again, I'm talk about how we reduce teenage pregnancy and teenage abortion by 60%. Planned Parenthood was a huge part of that 
effort. And he has been pretty consistently against Planned Parenthood. And that's one of those core values. If you're going to run on a ticket with someone, you know, there's there's five or ten things that you just got to make sure that you both agree on. Amen. I like it. Um, so my final question to you is a very simple question. What's your favorite kind of beer? <laughs> <laughs> you know, my favorite beer is, is, is the local one. And yeah. beer, people don't realize that beer is not like wine. It, beer is food. And the best beer is usually within six or eight weeks of, of when, it, uh, when they finish the conditioning. And so they put it in a bottle, and for, in that window, it's really good. So always go for your local beer, and then it's seasonal. If, yeah. if I am in, the, in winter right now, I mean, uh, yesterday I was at the hotel, uh, and it's freezing cold. I had a stout because, you know, a dark beer somehow warms you up more than, a, than like a Pilsner or a light ale. Uh, in the summer, the, you know, I'd rather have a, maybe a wheat beer. Or a, or a lager of some sort. So it's really the, uh, I have big hometown favorites, right? Uh, Fat Tire, which is the I new Belgian beer. Fat Tire. Fat Tire is mm-hmm. just a great beer. It's a what we call a session beer if you're going to have two or three beers. Okay. Uh, when you're not driving, mm-hmm. uh, that is just a tried and true beer. We have a great Divide Brewing Company has a Denver Pale Ale. There's a bunch of different, I mean, the great thing about Colorado is we got almost 400 breweries now. You know, when I opened, right. when I opened Wine Coop in 1988, uh, back in, in lower downtown Denver when the rent was $1 per square foot per year. And we were, I think, the 14th brew pub to open in North America. And now there's over 6,000. If you'd ever told me that there'd be over 500, I would have I said, that's impossible. I would have laughed. And yet beer has become, you know, it's one of those things that a, a, a working person, it costs a little bit more, uh, I mean, percentage-wise, 20 or 30% more than a, what we call factory beers, uh, but it's really in terms of your discretionary income, it's a very small luxury and, and people can really t- taste the difference and really enjoy the difference. And that's, I think, one of the reasons it's become so popular. And Adrian asked that question because the governor is a former brewer. Uh, there's a former coffee guy running, uh, <laughs> possibly running for the presidency as an independent. Do you have a reaction to Howard Schultz's decision to leave the party and run as an independent? Well, I think it's puzzling. Obviously, he's done a lot of polling, and somehow he feels that there's a pathway for him to win uh, doing that. But I think there's also a pathway that puts uh, the country at risk of having four more, four more years of Donald Trump. And to me, if I felt that, that my campaign was going to create a risk that Donald Trump would be president for four more years— I certainly wouldn't go down that road. Uh, I honestly believe that going out and campaigning as the person who's brought people together, who's actually achieved progressive goals, is something that you know that the country needs and brings the country together. Uh, you know, I think uh, Howard Schultz, you know, has, has chosen a direction that, as I said, it's, it's puzzling. I'm not sure what what he needs from this. As much as it, it, it sounds like he cares more about uh, his success uh, and his pursuit of of responsibility and power than uh, than the country's needs. Yeah, Governor, I think you just hit the nail on the head there and you share um, the same feelings that many other people in the Democratic Party feel because they do feel that a Howard Schultz candidacy or anybody who is a self-funder or could be a potentially formidable candidate as an independent in a three-way is probably going to siphon off votes from Democrats. So we're glad to know that you're not doing a Kasich uh, Hickenlooper ticket or a Hickenlooper <laughs> Kasich ticket. Um, I think this makes a lot of sense. And the final thing I just want to say is um, 
you know, you, you've been such a great governor of Colorado. Um, I'm a huge fan of your state. I do a lot of biking and cycling and skiing out there. If I could live in Colorado full time, I probably would figure out a way <laughs> to do it. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate you taking the time. We wish you the best of luck as you figure out the rest of your uh, decision in terms of whether or not you're going to run. And Doug, do you have any parting words too? No, thank you, Governor, for joining us. Well, thank, been great. thank you for having me. Thanks for the kind words about Colorado. We're very proud of, you know, Metro Denver now has a thousand miles of bike trails. Uh, and we now have more live music venues in Denver than in Austin or Nashville. And a lot of that was, was intentional, right? We wanted to make a, a place where people like yourself would want to, the young at heart. Yes. Uh, the young and the young at heart. I'm the, I'm the young at heart person. Uh, that the, we want to, you know, come and hopefully not just build a business, but, but build a life. And, you know, that's, that's what we're, a big part of what we're proud about. Thank you for making Colorado such a fantastic state. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank Good you. luck on the campaign trail. Thank you. I'll need it.